Welcome to the Top Order podcast. Lippy, Binksy and Raj in the room this week. The cricket keeps coming thick and fast. On tonight's show, we're going to talk New Zealand, Bangladesh. Is New Zealand's World Test Championship all over? It doesn't look like it is with the second test underway already. <laughs> we're going to talk a bit of India, Australia. Glenn Maxwell turns up again. What's going on? Raul Dravid's renewal as India coach. We've also got a little bit of news coming up ahead of the Australia-Pakistan series. Are you okay, Mitchell Johnson? All coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, we've got heaps and heaps of cricket as always on the Top Order this evening. So we're recording this, I think, uh, Wednesday evening in New Zealand. So the second test in Mirpur has just kicked off for the Black Caps. Bangladesh winning the toss, electing to bat. We won't go into the game too much, but... Um, already some talking points for next week's show. Not often you see a handled ball. No, in, I want to see that. It just in, happened. In test uh, test cricket. But look, I think what we want to do is talk about the test match last week, don't we? The first test. Um, I know, Stu, you've got some passionate views, Raj, I'm sure as well, from a selections perspective. Um, the spinners that, that were on show throughout the course mm. of the game. Um, and you, you look, I guess the question is tongue-in-cheek in the Slack channel, but... You know, is the World Test Championship already over after one game? I don't. I don't think it is. But um, feelings after that first first game, I was pretty sad watching that fourth innings. I I, I just sort of felt like deflated. I, I, you know, I know, and probably even the third innings because New Zealand. I mean, I'm sure we'll get to it shortly about the the spin component of it and, and the way that game kind of panned out. But you sort of knew when that third innings was going that. It was going to be hard to chase. And look, you know, New Zealand's won the toss or lost the toss here in the second test. They're going to be chasing again unless they can put up a a huge first inning score and kind of, you know, win by an innings. They're going to have to try and win this test in the fourth innings again. And it just makes it tough. And and our spinners and the way the game panned out and our batters, it just didn't go well. And look, it's been a a historic week for New Zealand cricket in many ways and and all of them bad and that the White Ferns have have lost for the first time to to Pakistan in a T20 and they doubled up again and made it too and New Zealand lost their first test away from home against Bangladesh after losing you know the home tests last summer or a couple of summers ago 18 months ago so yeah it hasn't been a great week for New Zealand cricket. No, that's that's very (laughs) that's very very uh, poignant start there I guess if I isolate it, I, I agree with you around that third innings. I think that's where I felt the most deflated. Uh, I, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. I know that you know there's been talk about we weren't able to build pressure. Um, our spinners just weren't as dangerous looking in the second innings of each. You know, if you compare the Bangladeshi spinners to to our spinners, and also you've just got to take your hats off to hat off to to Shanto. I think he batted really, really well in that uh, Bangladeshi, Bangladeshi second innings. Uh, but yeah, spin spin is a big, big, big concern for me. Uh, do you want to go down that tack now? Can Bef- I just ask you a question, both before before we do go down into the the, the, the weeds a little bit? Is your expect as Black Caps fans, you're going to go to Bangladesh and win a Test Series away from home? Well, I think that's sort of where I wanted to go as well because my expectation was, yes, I think that we should be going into this Test thinking that we should win. And then that, obviously, this game happened and I started to think to myself, 
Okay, let's actually look at some statistics. The last World Test Championship wasn't very good for us over in New Zealand or, you know, throughout that cycle. I think if you're being kind, you can look at all of the results throughout that cycle and kind of make excuses for some of them. You know, often a lot of the test series were drawn. Uh, you know, in Pakistan, I think about away from home, we, would, we drew that series. I think we were the better side, but, you know, probably should have won those. England, you know, drawing that series against New, in, in New Zealand felt like, you know, it was a good result after yeah. what England had done to us in that first test. Uh, and, and, you know, you can go on and on. You can look back to the England series, even away from home, where we lost 3-0, but we were in all of those games, on and on and on. But actually, I mean, when you run through the numbers, I, I put it down, you know, since New Zealand won the World Test Championship in June 2021, played 16 tests, they're into their eighth series, and their record during that time is five wins, three draws, eight losses. They've only won one series, which is at home to Sri Lanka last summer. It, it doesn't make for good reading. And, and for comparison, I started to think, okay, who are the other teams that are, you know, lower down on the, the pecking order that we think are in a bit of strife? The West Indies have played 17 tests since that time. They've won five, drawn four, lost eight. Albeit, you know, some of their wins, Pakistan, three against Bangladesh at home, one against Zimbabwe. Sri Lanka have played 16. They've won seven of those tests, drawn one, lost eight. You know, they've beaten the West Indies, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Ireland, but they've also beaten Australia. So, you know, two sides that I would say are very, you know, pretty low down in, in the where, where their test cricket is at the moment. New Zealand's numbers don't stack up especially well. I mean, that was going to be my question to you, Raj. I mean, where, where do you think we're at as a test nation at the moment? Yeah, I think in my notes last week and when we were doing a little preview to it, I had down that they have they had something to prove. This was a New Zealand team that had a little bit to prove in this World Test Championship cycle. Uh, we've passed, we've gone, gone through our sort of golden age over the last sort of five, eight, seven, however many years you want to, you want to count it. Um, and a lot of tone was going to be set based on that first test. Um, I expected New Zealand to still win that test. I expect them to go to Bangladesh and win. I expect them to be very, very strong at home. Going to India to win, going to Australia to win is another story completely. That's something that, that we need to unpack if and when, well, when that happens. Um, but to answer your question simply, yes, I expected... New Zealand to go there yeah. and win that series in Bangladesh. Yeah, and now it's you know it's crucially important for you know you said t- it's a bit tongue in cheek to say that the World Test Championship is it over, but I think they have to win the second test now. Mm. If they don't win the second test, then you know you look at the rest of their fixtures. We ran through it all last week. Yeah, they have they have to get points from from this series. They've got S- South Africa at home. We expect that to be a weak inside. But then it's Australia, then it's India away, then it's like there's all these tough series coming up for the World Test Championship. And, you know, we really have to get some points out of this. Otherwise, it is going to be big trouble for, for New Zealand. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about selections and then the, the spin question that you just asked then, Ross. So one, one change going into this second test. So Ishmish is out and in comes Mitchell Santner. So yep. turning the ball in the same direction potentially offers a lot more with the bat, really, I guess. Um, yep. Um, but what what are your thoughts and, and what why is that a question mark for you in terms of that, that first test match you've got that you know that you've got that up there as a you know worst selections a part to play in that I you know to be honest I don't actually think the selection plays a huge part in the in the result yeah. I think that there are big selection discussions to be had and and I mean Henry Nichols is the one that everyone is kind of um, pointing to and and look it's a the fact that we've been talking about it for two years is kind of the biggest talking point. And, you know, when 
Luke Ronke afterwards has been asked about Henry Nichols and he's, you know, he sort of mentions, well, he's been the form player in the Plunkett Shield. He's scored, you know, double hundred in his last test. You know, you can you can see the logic there. If you're going through all of that, you can see the logic. But then you can look at the other side. There's been two articles that have come out on, on stuff that New Zealand media here over the last couple of days. And one of them was, uh, uh, you know, a big piece by Mark Reason, who's uh, an opinion writer and kind of just fires everyone up. He saying that the selection was appalling and all the stuff. There was another one actually written by Andrew Vorman, who which was much more calculated and much more convincing and explained it really, really well, I thought. And it just ran through all of Nichols' numbers and his away numbers are terrible. Mm. They, they, they have been terrible for two years. And, and I guess the confusing part about all of this for me is that we can go around and say, okay, well, we're going to uh, Bangladesh. That means we don't pick this bowler. But you don't do the same with a batter, and and I don't, you know. Look, I hope Nichols for the for the sake of New Zealand, I hope Nichols go, scores runs in the second test. But I think if you look at all those runs, uh, figures, it's really bizarre that they can't just go. That's I guess the part that I'm most sort of upset about. I don't understand why they can't go. Okay, well, you know, horses for courses with our bowlers. Why don't we actually do horses for courses with our batters and say he doesn't perform especially well away from home. He's not dropped. He's just not in this side. He's not in our best 11. You know, maybe when we're back in our home summer, perform in the Plunkett Shield and you'll have another opportunity. Yeah, look, selection for me, I don't think it had a massive bearing on that result. Uh, however, I do think there were elements that were missing. Uh, I have a, I have an issue with selecting three spinners um, when you can only buy one spinner from from each end. So that's two if you, you count them <laughs> up. Um that's something that we're probably never going to agree on. You, you, and you and me uh, are lippy there, but I just think we should be playing to our strengths. I think we needed an extra pace bowler at that time. Our our strength has been pace bowling. You look at when we play in New Zealand, England. We're never going to play. Well, we hardly ever play a spinner. We always play pace bowlers. That's where our strength lies. I don't think that changes going over to another part of the world. You can see the way that they bowled, the numbers that they returned. Jameson looked dangerous with the ball. So he bowled early. really well, actually. He bowled, he bowled really well, in the, especially in the first innings. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why pace bowling cannot be uh, as effective on those pitches for us, for us, in terms of yeah. us taking wickets. Yeah, I, look, I, I tend to agree with you on this one. I think um, you don't pick a spinner at home, so... If a guy's not good enough to play in all conditions, then what you're saying is your seam attack is good enough to play in all conditions. And a little bit like we've seen, and, and look, I, I don't want to sort of harp on about England necessarily, but they went to Pakistan. Yes, they did have some options with the spin bowling, um, but they were comfortable to let that be a Will Jacks or um, someone that was a little bit of a part-time option. And then they were like, do you know what? Jimmy Anderson is going to get something out of this wicket mm. more than uh, our third spinner is going to. So we'll pick him or Mark Wood is going to give us that point of difference because he takes the pitch out of the equation because he's going to bowl 90 mile an hour and bowl pretty full. So I, I think if the, you know, the, the, the guys that you've got and particularly we've seen in world cricket over the course of the last couple of years, really the short ball become really effective as a, as a way of um, taking wickets. You've got Neil Wagner there. Mm. Um, you, you've got options there that I think are going to be more impactful um, to try and take the 20 wickets that you need to, to win a, win a test match. Obviously, we know nothing because <laughs> we look at the, the selection and the only change is you know, bringing in a different, um, a different spinner. 
Um, and look, I think, yeah, we, we, we said, I think on the Slack channel, Ish struggled a little bit um, mm. in, in that first control. in that first test match. And if you can't bring build control, you can't build pressure. And I thought that's what Bangladesh did really, really well in terms of the way their mm. spinners bowl. They tried to really rip the shin off the, the batters for long periods of time and, and it bloody worked. Oh, they were, their spinners, you know, it's been, I'm not the first person to say this, but their spinners completely out-bowled our spinners and that was the difference in the game. I mean, you know, Tigel bowled, he was tremendous and, um, you know, he's not someone I've seen a, a huge amount of. I've seen little bits and pieces when Bangladesh has played at home. But, you know, the, the, the thing that really stood out is that exactly what you just said, he just didn't bowl any bad balls. And the New Zealand spinners, Ish, Ish especially in that first, uh, that first innings, I, I do feel a bit sorry for him because he, uh, you know, he's in Pakistan, he was our best bowler, right? He's the best bowler in that series. He then goes to this World Cup. He gets one game. You know, I thought he was going to be a big part in that World Cup. He goes, plays one game, gets like a rain-reduced opportunity, doesn't take it, doesn't take his chance, you know, m- misses out for the rest of the World Cup. Comes into this game, which is a completely different scenario from all the white ball stuff that he's been coming in. And then... Bowled really poorly, I think, for by his standards in the first innings. Actually improved a little bit in that second innings. Started to kind of hit his straps, and then you know doesn't doesn't play this game. He's now not going to you know. There's no chance that he'll play at home. I wouldn't thought. And so you know that might be it. Like it's as simple. It's a, it's as crazy as that for New Zealand. Like that might be his last test. Which you know it's it's a bit sounds a bit hyperbolic, but you know. It'll be a year before New Zealand probably thinks about playing a spinner again in a test match. So, yeah, it's it's tough on him. And you've got bowlers like Ashok coming through as well, Eddie Ashok, who are good young spinners who are, are ready to take that next step as well. So you've got to start looking at them as well. Um, the other selection one that I – or player that I thought should have played was Ratan Ravindra. Mm-hmm. If I'm looking at – you mentioned that, Henry Nichols. That surprises me, Raj. <laughs> if you're looking at, uh, you know, Henry Nichols, you're looking at Glenn Phillips, you're looking at Ratan Ravindra. If I look at those three batsmen, you've got to pick two of them. The first one I'm picking is Ratan Ravindra, mm. based on his international form coming into this. Uh, he, he, he struggled to get out. He was he was, he was was that good <laughs> at the um, ODI World Cup. I was surprised that he didn't get a run early on. He hasn't got a run in this the yeah. second test either. Um, what, what do you make then of, of like the way that Ronke's kind of explained that situation? So he sort of said, okay, it's a different format. We've got you know guys that have been proven in this in this format that you know ODI cricket is you know it's a different game. It's different. Like you know, I guess in my defence of the batters in this in, a, in this first test, they have gone from flat, flat wickets in India, you know, 300 plus ODI wickets to this Bangladesh wicket, which, you know, in that first test and and it seems in the second test as well, hugely different conditions. It's spinning a lot. It's, you know, low bounce. You know, what do you make of the fact that, like, is it as simple as just translating that, that form into a different format or is there some merit in, you know, what Ronke's saying? Well, I guess we can't use, we shouldn't use Kane as an example, but he didn't seem to struggle to <laughs> translate that form from the white ball to the red ball. Look, the only indicator that we have, we're not in the camp. You got to, uh, yeah. you got to pick the players who scored the runs, and he's got he scored the runs and, and he's got the runs under his belt. To Henry Nichols' 
you know, a point in his favour. He has scored runs at home in Red Bull cricket, but like you said, it's a completely different scenario scoring runs on the subcontinent. Yeah, and, and that was going to be my point. Yeah. When it's convenient, you talk about domestic form in, mm. with, a, with the colour of cricket ball that's relevant. Yeah. Um, and, and when you don't want it to be relevant, you talk about performing on the international stage. So, yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of rhetoric there. I, I also, I always find it really, really interesting when um, Ronke gets wheeled out to do that press. That That's an indication of really what's going on in the camp, right? Where you're sending out your, your coach. Well, yeah, he is the coach. Yeah, he's, I know he's the, the coach, he's not rather, there, than, yeah. rather than a skipper. Yeah, yeah, um, okay. To, yeah. To, to make that, you know, and you see it when you've had a bad day, it's always, you know, the, the coach who fronts up and does the media and you're not getting that message from the guy that's... Uh, you know, the guy that's in charge potentially. Yeah. Well, on sort of on that, because I think a lot of the, obviously Ravindra's form has led to this com- big conversation about, you know, why isn't Ravindra in the side and all that stuff. That's been, you know, that's a big factor, but I think also a huge part of it is the fact that he's young and everyone in New Zealand is clamoring. You know, you just mentioned Addy Ashok. He's a name that comes up a lot. Personally, I don't quite think Addy is ready for, you know, international cricket. I hope, you know, I hope he gets there. I think he's a hugely talented player, but you know, there's a lot of clamouring for young players in New Zealand to start getting through. And and a lot of criticism that I see is all around the the coaching staff. Is it the coaching is it the coaching staff of the New Zealand side's responsibility to blood young players? I I, I genuinely don't really know the answer to that question. I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts because, you know, yeah, people, is it the coaching staff? Is it the selectors? Is it the is it New Zealand cricket's responsibility? Is it, you know, the province's responsibility? Because it's the same sort of question for spinners, I think. You know, it's it's all of that, you know, should oh look, we haven't developed a spinner and now we go overseas and we look to try and win these tests overseas and we're asking a lot of Ish and, and uh, Ajaz and guys that don't play test matches, you know, they play two test matches a year, four test matches a year, and you're saying, okay, now come and win us a test. Like, where does, where does the line fall? Is it kind of all those things or, yeah, what, what do you guys think? Well, well, my point is that that shouldn't be happening. We should be using the pace bowlers first up. That's <laughs> the point I was kind of trying to make earlier. They're the ones who we trumpet out for the majority of our, our, our test matches. But I think that from a coaching perspective, to answer that first part of your question, it's a two-way street. When we won the World Test Championship, it was a gra- Gary Steer and his coaching staff were the, the greatest coaches in the game. You know, they got all the plaudits for, for doing that. But when it goes wrong, um, it's kind of got to fall back on them as well. Uh, and when there are genuine selection questions, when, you know, deviated from the norm, mm. uh, there have been t- – I remember back to um, – you know, a tour back to Sri Lanka, I think it was one of Gary Stead's first um, tours where Tim Southey wasn't selected in the first test. He came into the second test and took a five yeah. mm. there, there are There are selection questions that, that, that come up when we go to conditions that probably are a little bit foreign. And it's a two-way street. If things are successful, he gets all the plaudits, him and his, his staff. Yeah, I, yeah, I probably agree with the large elements of what you said. Apart from that, the coaching staff get the plaudits when it goes right. It's the players that probably normally get the plaudits when something goes right, and the, the you know the coaching staff then sit in the background and and kind of let the players revel in that that moment. I I think from a plans perspective, I think it's about having clarity of what you want to do as a side, and you you had great clarity through that World Test Championship series. Mm. Um, you have been pretty unequivocal in the view that. You, you know, Ajaz isn't going to play at home um, and then you're going to wheel him out and you're going to wheel out two or three other guys that haven't really played any cricket. I think he would uh, learn an awful amount more from them trying to get him into um, 
cricket on a flat, you know, a, a wicket that's not conducive to spin. Mm. We look at the way that the Bangladeshi bowlers bowled on a helpful pitch, let's be honest. But all they really did was put the ball in the right areas. And I think Ajaz would learn that from bowling at the basin or from bowling at, um, you know, wherever you want to play, Hagley or wherever, um, on day one. And yes, his job on day one isn't to take five for 25. It's to, you know, maybe get one for one for 50 off, you know, 20 overs and and, and, and bowl at, you know, three and over and, and allow the seamers to, to rotate. So I think part of it has got to be that planning that the coaches have put um, put in place. So I think they have to take a little bit of the... Uh, the responsibility for the way that they're going to, you know, play across seventeen or eighteen test matches since twenty twenty one, and and what the long term, you know, one long term plan of that side is. Can I also say, just isolating that first test, the way that the Bangladeshi batsmen attacked or were more aggressive against our bowlers mm. was very evident to the way that, or compared yeah. to the way that New Zealand batted against the Bangladeshi uh, bowlers. From a pathways perspective, you're talking about mm. um, developing spinners. I think that there is a responsibility to develop spinners. I, and I don't have the answer for you around how they do that because, you know, Ajaz is the the poster boy he has bowled so many overs at domestic level yeah he bowls one end pretty much the whole day yeah. in red ball for um cd when he is playing for them uh with the red ball so i don't know what the answer is uh, around developing but there is Auckland is doing there. the same with eddie to be fair yeah. they they uh, they bowl him a lot of overs he bowls big spells and you know i, I think that's going to be great for his development that's kind of why i say i think a couple more years for him yeah. doing that will will certainly help but but i mean yeah on, i guess on that youth like yeah, how do they belt like do you you think really they they need to be looking long term and thinking like how do we kind of get how do we start sneaking these younger players in without you know mucking up the balance of yeah, your that, side that, that's not what I'm saying at all what I'm saying okay. is you have a plan as to how you're going to win through a cycle and if you pick that your plan is that you you, you know you're not going to develop um, and 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 you spin during that cycle go with it and go with that as your game plan yeah um I don't think anyone's got the answer to this that you they've you know there's been um, there's been initiatives in the Sheffield Shield to try and get more spin into the game. They're, they've done the same in the English County Championship. They did away with the toss for a period of time. Mm. Um, you know, they talked about the way that the wickets would be prepared. Um, they talked about um, even the cricket ball to try and get more spin. They messed around with the bonus points to try and encourage encourage you to bowl more spin. Everyone's trying to develop genuine quick bowling. Um, and genuine spin and, and try to, you know, move that reliance away from when there's a little bit in the wicket, you've got guys that, you know, do just enough with it at 130, 135Ks. Mm. Um, so everybody's trying exactly the same, you know, the, the same thing that you're trying. Yeah, I think the reality is, you, you know, you, you don't play a spinner in all seasons. And when you go overseas, it puts a hell of a lot of pressure on the guy that, um, you know, is meant to, meant to then almost elevate himself four four or five test matches a year when you're when you're on the road in, in conditions that aren't conducive to to the rest of your rest of your team as well yeah look i i, I let, moving a bit on from that because i know we want to move on to a couple of other topics just the, yeah. the last thing i want to mention from new zealand is is kane williamson really and, and his performance in that test and that hundred that he scored and and i think that was i guess the biggest thing i want to say is that Look, again, this is probably not going to be revolutionary for anyone, but if anyone out there does not realise that Kane Williamson is like a, a living legend of New Zealand cricket, it's time to realise that because 
I mean, you know, he, that was his third consecutive 100 in terms of innings. That was his fourth test, I think, where he'd scored 100. They were all, you know, crucially important, you know, runs in those in those tests. The two against Sri Lanka, scored that one against England, which kind of brought them back and, and won them that game. You know, he scored this 100 in the first innings, which he was the only, I think him and Daryl Mitchell were the only batters that looked like they actually had a plan against the spin. You know, you mentioned that before about how Bangladesh just kind of put it on the spot and Mitchell was there reversing. He like, it makes me a bit nervous mm-hmm. watching watching him reverse sweep every single ball, even it's when it's pitched on leg stump. But the fact that he was doing that, it was clearly his plan. And Kane was the same. He came out and he knew, he knows his game so well. And I mean, just the, he is just an unbelievable player. And the fact that he, has done this after six months out of the game and has come back and, you know, you run through all his numbers. I mean, um, I've got uh, some numbers down here in terms of, like, that's his 29th Test 100. He joins, you know, Don Bradman and Virat Kohli on that number, so, you know, pretty impressive. His ratio of Test 100s is now third of all players that have over 20 hundreds, and that's a, a pretty amazing list of, of Don Bradman and Steve Smith. You know, if you go back and look at, I don't have the number down, but, like, the last five or six years of Kane's career, his average is well over 60. Like, he is such a such a phenomenal player. And, you know, there's, he's always been in this big four conversation. But, you know, I, I wish he played more tests so could kind of vault higher up that chart. And and that's kind of my discussion point on this. It's not how good he is. We know, he's, we know he can play. Um, how do we keep him on the park? Mm. How do we keep him on the park with in a, in a black hat? Or black shirt, um, the white you know, shirt. The, the white shirt's the one I want to see him play for when, a long time. You know, when there's so much opportunity around the world, you know how how do we keep him playing? You know, good cricket till he's forty. Yeah, look, I think probably the the relinquishing of the captaincy is going to mm. have helped because I think that that is always a big thing. You know, you look at how that's impacted guys that have done it for any country in the world. You've done it for a period of time, and he did it for a, a really good period of time. Um, so I wonder whether that might be a conversation around the white ball stuff as well. Mm. Um, it seems a natural time to maybe look at uh, making that change. Uh, and then, I, look, I, I think your answer is... To an extent, he's probably as much as anyone earned the right to go off and earn some franchise cash. So I, I think it is ultimately which, potentially which format does he relinquish to, to see him continue in the white shirt? Mm. And then I forget what colours you wear in the different <laughs> one day stuff. Do, do you mix it up? We've got a, a teal. You've got, got a teal a and a beige, black. Yeah, black, black. Yeah. yeah. So, so look, ultimately, I think it's, you know, d- does he give away ODIs um, or T20s mm. um, and play two of the, the three, uh, the or, or three you, formats? You bring, him in, you bring him into the... For the World Cups. For the, for the tournaments. For the tournaments, maybe, yeah. yeah. And let him play the franchise he, stuff. He doesn't, look, he doesn't seem far, far away from, you know, he doesn't seem like he's, uh, you know, thinking about stopping anytime soon. Which I, I certainly hope is the case. The, the last thing I will say about him is: Did you guys see on his bat? There's a huge, big cherry right in the middle. Now you're you're smiling because I want to know. So what is it? Because look, any cherry for me was a, an honor. I didn't care if it was on the edge any, anywhere. You know, when I was playing. But what's happened there? Is it, is it the fact that he's 
been in the nets and just hitting every single ball in the middle, or has he just shaved off the ones that are not on the in the middle? What, Look, what's the deal? I here? don't want to cast any aspersions. <laughs> he's with well, a living legend. You just said, but if I was to guess, I'd say he's probably removing okay. some of the inside edge cherries, uh, not around the middle of the bat. But you know, I'm not going to say that if he tells me not, he just hits everything out of the middle. I'm not going to argue with him. Sure, I didn't even know that was a thing. So you what you sand off the, the or, edges, you know, or just wipe off if, the edges. if you've got like a facing on it, you can just wet wipe it off. Right. Yeah. It was a very significant red, you know, big yeah. red mark right in the middle of his bat, which which is where he was hitting most of the balls in that first inning. So I won't begrudge him, but yeah, I did notice that and think, what's going on there? Cool. Let's come on to another guy um, who's been hitting the middle of the bat pretty regularly over the course of the last four or five weeks. Glenn uh, Maxwell will talk about. Uh, look, I think another one for his highlights reel, but that T20 series has now finished five games, a win for India pretty comfortably in the end, wasn't it? 4-1, I think. Yeah, the- and look, Australia's team in that last couple of yeah. um, T20s and, and look, India's team as well, we talked about it a bit last week. It's, you know, it's really India. It, by the end, it was certainly India A versus Australia, I think. But yeah, let, let's maybe look at that third, yeah, third game. Um Australia, India. So Australia chasing down two twenty two, which would have been quite pleasing, I think, for uh, for, especially for Richie Benno fans. But Maxwell, <laughs> one hundred and four off forty eight, um, and and finished it in in fine style as well. Yeah, I finally found some highlights. I mean, you know, we we said last week it's been really hard to get any coverage of that, and I see Sky Sport today has bumped up their prices here in New Zealand oh, after losing all of these uh, sports but anyway we, we we won't dwell too much on that but I finally did find some some coverage and gee the highlights for that game were fantastic I know yeah look you know that was played what a week 10 days ago now where people people already know the result but yeah I, th- I, I think it's well worth having a look at you know Rutaraj Gaikwad scored 120 or 50 balls and it's been overshadowed by Maxwell. Maxwell actually went for 30 in the final over of India's innings, so he did owe them well, a few runs. Maybe to give him a chance, himself a chance of 100. He didn't want 70 not out. Yeah. But oh, it was it was it was a quality piece of cricket to watch and and I mean look I think you know we might mention might end up mentioning the the first ODI of the West Indies in England series but who needs World Cups right we go to these more more bilateral series where we can have all these close games yeah look absolutely <laughs> um, so yeah shy giving West Indies a bit of hope um, yeah fantastic fantastic hundred I don't know if you guys have seen that that, that highlights of that game or any of that game but yep. it. I, it didn't look to me like a 300 plus wicket. There was a couple that literally shot along the ground, a couple of LBs. Um, it didn't look easy to, to bat on a, at all, actually. Uh, Harry Brook looked, yeah, quite good for 70 odd. Um, England did what, you know, that they've been doing for a little while, get off to a really, really good start. And then no one can really, you know, switch themselves on to get from 20 to 50. Um, but yes, then Shy Hope comes in and... and yeah, I think Romario Shepherd actually set up the yeah. set up the the victory with yeah fifty odd off twenty eight balls. I think because um, it looked for all money. I left. They I needed left, about a hundred off nine overs. Yeah, or something, I left. They? I left for work at exactly that point and thought, yeah, home and hosed. It wasn't on the radio or anything like that. So yeah, got to work, logged into Crick Info, and was like, <laughs> what? How is how has that happened? But yeah, some clean hitting from from Shy Hope. Uh, um, my question is, are you concerned? I, I've got down here it's one game but 
Yeah. Um, when you combine it with you know the last few few games, the last you know sort of ten weeks of of England English cricket, that current being expensive is not normal. That's out of character for him. But uh, um, the only real shining light from there is that the spinners bowled really well in that particular set. But I, do you have any concerns there around the bowlers? Yeah, look, I, look. I think it's gonna, you know, it's gonna happen. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the fact that this is England's worst one-day international bowling performance. Um, individually, that is for for Sam Curran going for I think ninety ninety eight. And um, I, I think the concerning factor for me is Ryan Ahmed went really, really well. Liam Livingston went pretty well from mm-hmm. a um, economy rate perspective, and they had Will Jacks in the side as well, who didn't even get a bowl when. Uh, Bryden Carson and Sam Curran were going around the park a little bit, so I find that a little bit strange that they didn't, um, yeah, didn't you know try something different and just stuck with the five uh, five bowlers that they you know that they'd obviously earmarked at the start of the game from maybe from a matchups perspective. I don't know. I'm not massively concerned if I'm if I'm perfectly honest. England are going to be in a little bit of a rebuilding phase. Um, Atkinson, Carson, Ahmed, you know, weren't um, in and around that uh, World Cup best 11 obviously Atkinson was out there mm. um so look I, it, that it doesn't really concern me massively but I, I think we would want to see England put in a couple of results on the board in the remainder of the series interestingly I, I was going through some old texts the other night and one of my mates texted me before the Australia South Africa um semi-final in the World Cup and said oh mate I can't unpick this betting what do you reckon and I gave him a pretty detailed response and um put in there you know I'd be back in Australia here um and then he he did the same for the final and I said I've just got a sneaky feeling that Australia might do this Uh, and then he's asked me again and I've said get some money on England to win this series um after going one nil down is my next tip so I look I, I don't put any of my own money on, but that's. Uh, <laughs> I, I think England will recover in North Sound. Um, what tonight? I think yes. is, the, is, the, is the next game. So yeah, I, I think they'll come good. And just sort of looking at the other side of the ledger, there, the West Indies side. There were three or four names there which I did not uh, recognise. I had to go and have a look at a few of their their domestic numbers. Goodakish. Moti is the only one that I found had some really good numbers at, yeah. uh, at first class level. So that's someone someone to, to look at there. But this performance is symptomatic of, of West Indies cricket, isn't it? They, they've, they've, they've played well to win this game. How do they back it up? Where's the consistency? So that's what I'm looking for for the rest of the series. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, Shea Hope, I mean, Shea Hope especially, I think if people haven't don't realise, his ODI numbers are, are fantastic. You know, I think that was his 16th ODI 100. He averages over 50 in the, in the format. And it's such a bizarre one because then you look at all his other formats, you know, T20 and test matches, very sort of middling averages. Mm. And even, because I thought, oh, okay, so like maybe something's going wrong there. I'll look at his like first class averages for that level and it's the same. Mm. Like for some reason, four-day four cricket and even T20 cricket and domestically, his averages are just no good. But one, 50 overs, get him in a 50 over game and he's just a world beater. So yeah, look, I, I don't I mean... I think there's there's a lot to unpack about West Indies and, and kind of how their progress is going to... It's going to be a long-term project, you would think, in terms of getting all of the players on the park. It's been the biggest challenge at the moment, hasn't it? I, I sort of wanted to go back to the England side in terms of uh, something you said to me, Raj, last week, which actually wasn't around England. It was around the fact that Luke Ronke was coaching over, over in Bangladesh and not Gary Steed. And, and you said to me that you thought that that uh, you know that or or even England's uh, lack of success at the World Cup, something around uh, sort of maybe a, a negative in terms of the sort of dual coach 
format. Have you like do either of you want to elaborate on that and how it's kind of working out for England? Because that was the big rage, right? For a while, everyone was going, "Okay, well, look, coaches don't want to do this because they're going to be away from home for for so long. Like, we've got to find some balance, and the way that teams are going to get around this are going to go with you know white ball coaches and red ball coaches. And obviously, England have done that. They've gone with this format, and it's you know made a huge turnaround in their red ball cricket, but the white ball cricket. Well, they did win a World, like T20 World Cup. It's it's been a very short term, you know, slump, I guess, for for the England white ball side. But I don't know. Do we think there are any early returns on the the dual coach method? From an England perspective, I, I don't think it's made a massive amount of difference. Matthew Mott was very successful prior to taking the the England job, um, particularly his white ball credentials. Uh, Trevor Bayliss, similarly, who obviously won as a yeah won as a World Cup. Um, I think probably the, the you know the difficulty really is in putting together what your priority is. And from an England perspective, you know Rob Key, who's the I don't know his exact title, but managing director for for want of a better word, director yeah. of cricket, whatever you want to call it. He, he put his eggs in the test match basket and, and really didn't give Joss Butler and, and Matthew Mott the best sides leading into that because they, they wanted to prioritise the rebuilding of, of test cricket. And you'd say that from a test cricket perspective, they've made a pretty good Great. a pretty good fist of that. And now it's just about, I think, finding that right level of balance. They've, you know, they've adapted the way that central contracts are given out. Um, really, really interesting to, to see the way that that's actually happening. Um, you've got three or four guys pulling out of the IPL. Um, yeah. to actually go and play some county cricket um, and and put themselves in the shop window for that test side. So, look, I I don't think that, you know, this split coaching thing is, is necessarily a right or wrong answer one way or the other. I think what it does depend on is the link between the two coaches. So I'd be really interested to see what the conversations are and who's brokering those conversations and... Um, that they've got some consistency in terms of those those plans. Really, really interesting to see that England have picked the likes of Zach Crawley, the likes of Ben Duckett, the likes of Harry Brook, the likes of um, Bryden Carson, Gus Atkinson, who I think will feature in that uh, Test match shakeup. And um, they're almost going to the kind of Australian model of you know you pick your best eleven cricketers and and get them out on the field and they'll do the job whatever the format is. So I think I think that might be something that we see is. Um, yeah, particularly with the way that England are playing their test cricket, why is a strike rate of 80 or 90 in test cricket yeah. not going to translate pretty well into the white ball format? Yeah, and I, I actually think that there's not enough of that particular thinking. Win the game that's in front of you. Don't worry about winning the five-match series 3-2. Win every game. Win the game yeah. that is in front of you. I think that that's missing a little bit from, from world cricket at the moment. And... You know, we really we really yeah. glossed over that Australia India series. I just want we should go back and talk about that. But that um that that is symptomatic of it. With the with the split split coaches thing, I think it's a mistake. Um, particularly for that linkage piece that, that you you mentioned there. You look at sports around around the world, NRL, uh, NBA, NFL. You have specialist coaches and specialist roles they all report up to someone who is overseeing the, the, the whole thing. Like even in the NRL, you have a first-team head coach. He is at the meeting. He watches the games of the second, the third teams, the under-16s, and understands what they're doing and bring them through the, the, the pathways. I don't think that happens uh, at cricket, and it's probably harder to do because You've the game You've got different so, formats, yeah. It's the same, and, and yeah. it takes such a long, long yeah. time, the game. But I definitely think that the structure needs to be 
if we use New Zealand as an example, I, you know, I don't want to pick on New Zealand. Gary Stead doesn't have to be at every series, right? We can have someone, uh, ODI coach, we can have a uh, T20 coach, we can have a first uh, test coach, a, a long format coach, but all of them need to play under the same sort of schematic that is dictated by one coach. I think that's where, where England m- might be falling down a bit because, interestingly, the baseball schematic would probably play pretty well in the one-day arena as well, um, and it's played well in the test arena so far. So I'm, I'm unsure why we can't adapt it throughout yeah. the whole programme. Um, and I think it should be looked at it like that. It is a whole programme of this is our international programme Let's not break it up into formats. Sure, there's specialist roles, specialist people who need to think about what they're doing in those spaces, but we have to have a unified plan at the top. Interestingly, and well, just hearing you guys talk about this makes me think of uh, some Premier League football sides have a, a director of football. So you know, it's not the manager. Sometimes the, the manager kind of is the person that goes uh, that has the final say. In many ways, they often are. But yeah, maybe that maybe that is sort of the future. And I mean, Rob Key is probably that for England, isn't he? That he, but but you know, yeah. Where where do all the communication but, lies? And I think that's probably something that might develop over yeah. the years. It, it's it's all sort of a learning mm. process for for these sides. It's, but I think you're right in that you know, let's say these two, let's say they're not. The communication isn't great. We have you know we have absolutely no idea. But let's say Matthew Mott and and Brendan McCullum aren't talking about every single player. I'm sure they probably are to certain degrees. I, I, I think they are, and I think that the the difficulty in comparing it to soccer or rugby or any other sport is yes. Um, Man United, Chelsea, whoever it is, they play a system. If they're playing four four two, their reserve team is playing four four two. Their under nineteen side is playing four four two. Their under thirteens, their under elevens are, are playing the same way uh, to the same game plan. You can't do that with T Twenty, One Day Internationals, and, and Test matches. You can have some, you know, some similarities and some mindsets, but I, yeah, I don't think it's as necessarily as simple as having someone with, you know, with one. Um, unified way of of playing um, but I think it is around the communication be- between that and the reality as well is that um, even if we look at the amount of soccer that's played uh, uh, football for our, our English listeners you st- you do get a little bit of a break Cr- cricket is now there isn't it's a break non-stop. it is a 12 month um, all round the world sport there isn't that opportunity to breathe and plan um, and that's probably one of the big things is um, when you've got split coaches, at least one of them can be planning for the next series. Whereas if you've only got one coach, you're playing a test match and then trying to plan for, well, think about it like this. You've got split coaches in this. You're, you're literally on the field in a World Cup final um, yeah. on, on the whatever it was, uh, 25th of November. And three days later, you're then playing a T20. And in New Zealand's case... Five days later, you're playing a test match. Yeah, um, different country in completely so, different conditions. Um, good, that's probably a good way to bring let, it back to India let, because Rahul Dravid, to, yeah. right? Let's Rahul get Dravid. back to India. Um, has, Rahul Dravid, um, renewed as, as coach, I think has had to have his arm twisted by the sounds of the reports coming out of, of India. What do we want to talk about in respect of, of Rahul Dravid? And also, Raj, you, you touched about the fact we, you know, we, we have glossed over a, a pretty decent uh, decent cricket series. Um, we are at 42 minutes already, though. What, I just what, on, on the Dravid thing, yeah, can you, you see his arms being twisted. So kind of maybe fill me in a little bit more because, you know, when I uh, look at that, look at his performance, I certainly think, like, he warrants an extension. I mean, you know, I, I actually think... Uh, maybe before this performance at the World Cup and even some parts of it afterwards, 
I, I feel like I often see criticism of Rahul Dravid. He, he's someone that seems to cop it a little bit from the Indian fans. But, I mean, I guess, you know, they're holding very high standards, right? Because when I look at them, you know, one of the best tests, you know, they're in the World Test Championship final, obviously didn't win that, in the ODI World Cup final, and one of the best, you know, performances I've seen from a side across a World Cup. Obviously, they didn't win it. But, you know, they're sort of almost comparisons uh, when I think about across sport of uh, like the, one, uh, the Patriots, do the Patriots go unbeaten in football and Golden State Warriors went, you know, 73 and nine, broke a record and then didn't win the final thing. But, you know, those sides are still remembered as, as you know, great sides. And, and India, I think this World Cup, I will, I'm sure in, you know, three, four cycles of this World Cup, I'll still think, oh, gee, India was amazing in that World Cup. Rahul Dravid's been at the helm of, uh, you know, through all of that. Obviously, you know, a huge amount of cricket, but did, did he not want to stick around? What, what's what's the deal? Why, why do we know why he... Because reports are that he's only... It's a very short extension, potentially, to the end of the, the T20 World Cup. Yeah, to the end of 2024, the, the 2020 World Cup in 2024. <laughs> yeah. um, look, I, I, I haven't read the reports about him having his arm twisted and all that, but... I could imagine that being the coach of the Indian cricket team would be one of the most exhausting jobs in the world. Uh, you know, you can win games and go, oh, but you didn't, they didn't, why didn't you win it in this manner? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, even though you, you won the game. So I, I can imagine that. He did mention in a couple of the articles I read that uh, he thanked his family for, for um, you know, giving him the time and space to do his, his, his job and to do it well. He talked a lot about building culture in the, in the Indian. Uh, dressing room, which I think is is something that's important around winning teams, and you know all winning teams do well. But uh, yeah, I think you know working, what, traveling two up two hundred plus days a year has got to take its toll. Yeah, I, I think it yeah it comes back again. We talk about a lot about this with players and, and captains. I think um, and and also India's strength in depth from a playing perspective. They've also got some strength in depth from a coaching perspective as well. Um, I, I wonder whether they they might start to question the number of overseas coaches in the IPL um, potentially, particularly from a BC, point, yeah. BCCI perspective. Um, but yeah, the reports are that they offered the T Twenty job to Ashish Nira, who. Um, Obviously had some success and has had some success with Gujarat Titans. Uh, Vivash Lakshman um, is with the side at the moment, I think, um, from a coaching perspective. So that, you know, they've got some people that have got some experience to, to potentially um, take over. I think if I look at it as a neutral, um, through you know through his tenure as, as coach, India have been in finals um, of the World Test Championship of um, the obviously the fifty over format. Um, I, I I disagree that they were the best team in the World Cup because they weren't because Australia were. Um, so, um, look at the trophy and the engraving; it tells you a lot about who the best team. Well, in, in, yeah. um, an English person <laughs> would obviously say that, but anyway, carry on. What what? The, if you get your name engraved on the trophy, you've won it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's for, 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 yeah. Even if there's an asterisk. Anyway, let's not go into that. <laughs> so, so look, I I I I think the the bar is set really really high, and the yeah. expectation. Um, of someone um, in in Indian cricket is probably going to be higher than anywhere else in in the world, but I think that you know that continuity that you know they're going to get now, um, knowing that he's you know he's with the side is pretty understated as well. Um, so you know I, I think he's the guy that's probably not going to be too het up with some of that political stuff. You can see um, certainly some former players that now don the you know the coach's hat 
you know, they, they would have just thrown the toys out of the pram if, if, you know, they even found out that there was a potential approach for someone else. And, and then it's like, well, can you carry on? Um, I think he's going to be a steadier pair of hands as he was batting at number three for India. Um, and look, the reality is that, that they're, they're a gnat's whisker away from, um, yeah, from holding, you know, at least two of the big, uh, the big showpiece trophies. So, yeah, um, I, I think he's the right, you know, the right man to take him forward. I think it'd be pretty harsh. Um, based on you know a record of ten and one, um, yeah. yeah, to, to get the to get the get the get the the push. What about this series? Anything we want to touch on quickly before we move on and and, and probably talk some? Do you want to talk about Mitchell Johnson? Don't you? <laughs> the one the one point I, I just don't. wanted to make <laughs> around uh, performance in that series and potentially for the World Cup coming up is uh, Matthew Wade. I thought his performance over the whole series where he played. I think he played every game. He didn't bat in one of the games, but he got 42 not out, 28 not out, 36 not out, and 22 closing out the innings. Um, he was cool, calm uh, in a number of situations there uh, at the end of games, especially chasing four of those, or those four inning, those four runs, those four innings that he batted were second innings. They were chases. Yeah. So I think that he's given them great options down the order with the likes of Tim David and all those other closers that they've got. They've got him as well, who can, who can engineer a chase, Michael Bevan style towards the end of it so um, yeah just wanted to highlight his performance fair fair because he's someone that I kind of dismiss like I know he I feel like uh, I dismissed him before the the T20 World Cup that they won that he Mm. was obviously a a big part of so yeah yeah, he was he was excellent in that in that series did you want to talk about Mitchell Johnson it's I I actually uh, from my own point of view it's just been I mean you know New Zealand are watching you know a bit of drama in Australia I've just been smiling the whole time it's, it's been entertaining I, I will say you know obviously uh, he's now copped a lot of the the pushback in, in terms of what he's actually said there's uh, I think reports that he's now sort of lost a, a commentary gig because of it I, I you know that was just something I I, yeah. I came across I don't know how accurate that is but uh, you know I think that a lot of the points that he was making are kind of fair aren't they like I not you know all all sort of maybe he's gone a bit uh, a bit strong on on the, some of the, the message the message was probably accurate the way it came across came across quite personal and, yes. and yeah. aggressive yes um, but you know essentially what he was saying is accurate David Warner's averaging twenty eight over the last however long he's struggled in Red Bull cricket um, probably up until the last Pakistan series or did he score some runs against Scored, South Africa? Scored it scored 100 against South Africa yeah. but yeah it had been But that was a anomaly I think but yeah. look he uh, does he deserve a, a hero a send off is the, is the quote isn't it? That's a, that's a question I don't know how to answer that yeah, one. Yeah and look I think some of the points in that article are, are probably probably accurate. I think harping back to the ball tampering and, and look I, I can't believe I'm going to say this and <laughs> um, whatever you think about it and I've got plenty to say on it they have served their time and their punishment um David Warner is still not able to take a leadership role even with a big bash side I believe so you know he's got that ban in place he's you know he took 12 months out of cricket um obviously with that with that ban um I personally didn't like the way that he, he came out and sort of signalled his intent probably, what, two years out from that, <laughs> uh, from, from that test series. I don't think there's too many players that get afforded the ability to kind of pick that. You only need to look back in relatively recent history. Uh, Ian Healy um, didn't get a farewell in Brisbane. They brought Gilchrist in. Um, Stuart Broad, you know, decided, you know, he was only going to make that decision 
um, Joran, you know, his, his final. I'm um, not so sure about that because he had his book deal out pretty quick. But anyway, you, you carry yeah. on. But I, no, I get your point. I get your point. In the, in yeah. the, in the media. In the media. He, yes. he'd, he'd certainly not sent out the invitations no. for his farewell at, no, at no. the end of the Ashes. Absolutely is what, not. Is what I'm, yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I think it was more the tone of what he's gone into, the criticism of George Bailey. Um, and, you know, realistically, from an Australia perspective, there's no one really pulling up trees in Sheffield Shield yeah. cricket. You've got the likes of, I think, of Pukowski, I think, has now been ruled out for a little period of time. Uh, Bancroft, you know, he was, he was you know, standing next to David Warner at the Bunnings checkout as they were purchasing the sandpaper. So, you know... It, <laughs> I thought it, you weren't going to say anything about it. He, he, uh, no, I just, that, that's, that's a fact. Um, and, and then, and then, Harris and Renshaw are the other And two. then Harris and Renshaw, you know, Harris yeah. has been on every tour for the last... Uh, five years and, and, and hasn't really you know taken his opportunity and and Renshaw you know I, I don't even know that Renshaw is a um a bona fide opener he bats in the middle order at times you know then they, they've not kind of gone right he's going to open the batting and, and that's you know that's the role that he's going to play so I, I I think it's yeah look a, a little bit uh a little bit sort of uh yeah vitriolic and personal mm. um and yeah, by by all reports, he's you know he's lost a lost a commentary gig already. Um, but he sold a few copies of the West Australian, Australian, Australian column. Uh, but in real talk, though, yeah, uh, David Warner for the majority of his career would have walked into any team in any format as their opener. Um, yeah, I think for the majority of his what? his his career, and there's not many people you can talk about no. like that. And, and it comes back to the conversation we were having earlier on. He just had a fantastic World Cup, and it's not like he's you know had to been able to go home and play three rounds of Sheffield Shield to prove his form. His form is he's just you know averaged I don't know fifty at the World Cup and a couple of hundred. So yeah, he, he, he and, should, and he should look, be the side as much as you know we we like to poke fun at him at times on this podcast. He has been a fantastic cricketer for Australia. He's his test record, you know, suggests that you know the last couple of years, obviously, it hasn't hasn't gone as well. But I mean, you know, harking back, you look at guys like Ricky Ponting, Sachin Tendulkar. Their last couple of years probably were not were not you know up to the high standards of their career as well. I, yeah, the farewell is is all a bit funny, but yeah, I, I think uh, he's probably going to deserve it when you look back at the the fullness of his career. Oh, look, he, he may well. I'll certainly be switching off the TV when it starts. Though. When that's, he starts jumping, for pumping. Well, yeah, I, I won't be watching at that point. That's uh, that's for sure. The minute anyone tries to lift him, um, or a convertible comes out onto the ground, or any sign of a ticker tape parade, and I'll be uh, I'll be turning over and watching Love Island. <laughs> Good, good choice. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about, Lippy? You've probably got three or four pages of New Zealand stuff to, to, to rattle through. Well, I, you know, I was going to talk about the White Fins a little bit, but it hasn't really been. I don't know that I want to, to be honest. I, I think it's it's just dark times really for for that side, and I think they've been trying to. You know, there was some hope for things to improve. I guess when Ben Sawyer came in, and um, you know, I, I don't know whether. Uh, you know, you look at the coaching ranks and, and all that kind of stuff and you, you look at someone like Ben Sawyer who's, he goes off and does franchise tournaments. Like, you know, I, I don't know what the setup is in terms of his communication with the White Ferns players all the time and all, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, whether he's fully committed to that role, you know, I don't I don't know. But yeah, it, it just sort of hasn't gone well in the development and, and you even look at some of the, you know, I mean, the, the, the players that we really rely on in in general time in the last couple of years that the big name players they haven't stepped up in these two ODI or two T20s either so yeah it's been pretty tough and um, you sort of think 
you sort of when that when they lost the first T20 to Pakistan, you were thinking, okay, you know, a bit of a blip. They'll bounce back and win these next two. They obviously lost the second in a game played at University Oval, which they'd renamed, you know, the Susie Bates Oval for you know a big special occasion and and still you know results in a loss so yeah i, th- I think some serious soul searching for for that side and for for new zealand cricket in terms of what we're going to do with that white fern side and, and how to kind of rebuild it because you know some of these players that we've relied on for a long time are, are starting to to phase out of the side and and, and who's coming through is, is a, the big questions any domestic news you want to mention in alan that was pretty awesome. If anyone hasn't hasn't gone back and, and seen him, I, you know he scored 168 uh, off off 110 balls for for Auckland about a week ago now. But yeah, look, I, I think uh, really the key thing for the key thing he just needs to have a big season, Finn. I think it would have been really disappointing for him to miss that World Cup. I mean, you know, he was. Uh, you know, positioned to be at that World Cup for the the 18 months prior. He was given every opportunity to be there. I think, you know, if you asked the coaching staff, they wanted him to be there. You know, they they put him in positions to succeed and hoped that he would take those opportunities and, and it just didn't happen. And now I think he needs a big, big summer for us, you know, domestically to then hopefully, you know, be back in that side for the T20 World Cup. And, and that's where I, where I guess... We mentioned having a, a unified plan at the top. He is one player that I think could have a future across all three formats in New Zealand cricket. Um, he, but he needs to know what they're looking for from him. So a good step for what was the actual score? He so he scored 168 off off 110 balls for for Auckland in, in a big chase. They chased down a big score and. Um, him and Robbie O'Donnell put a big partnership together and, and Robbie was actually going at about a 50% strike rate for for a while there. But, I mean, yeah, it's interesting you say that about Finn in terms of uh, across all formats because yeah, he's back in Auckland, he's back in the four-day side for Auckland, but, you know, hasn't, yeah, has very much not set the world on fire in four-day cricket and now, and now is batting like six or seven for Auckland. So, yeah, there's a... Uh, getting a defined role, I think, is going to be pretty important for him. But, you know... I suppose from his point of view, what's his motivation for playing four-day cricket when he can go all around the world and make all this money in T20 cricket? If, if, if I, we, we've seen this story play out before if you look at Martin Guptill's uh, cricketing career. I, I liken it very similar to that. I don't think that we handled him. He didn't reach his potential across in, in Red Bull cricket. He could have been an incredible number five batsman for New Zealand for a long time. That's not where they saw him and his, his plan wasn't accurate. Finnellan needs to be handled with care around how he mentally applies himself across the formats he's playing. Mm. And I, I hope someone's in his ear about that. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll continue to talk about him throughout the course of this New Zealand domestic hope so. uh, summer. And yeah, uh, hopefully gets a, an opportunity in, uh, in the Black Cup as well at some point. And um, that probably is all from us here on the Top Order podcast um, this evening. Uh, what do we know about spin selections? Uh, Bangladesh uh, currently 143 for seven. Who's and taking the, the wickets? Uh, the three spinners have uh, got two apiece. And, and the handled ball off the pacer. That, I know it doesn't count. But. And then we've got the handle, handle ball. So uh, we'll wrap that te- test match up next week on the Top Order podcast um, as well as plenty more cricket coming Australia, up. Pakistan uh, just about next yeah, week. Yeah, Australia, we? Pakistan. We've got um, India women playing England women. We've got... Um, it, the yeah, culmination of this England West Indies series as well. So lots and lots more cricket coming up. We will be back in your podcast and vodcast feeds uh, this time next week. But for now, it is good night and God bless from us here in Auckland. We'll see you soon. Good night. <laughs>